You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, today we are going to go over the PFF grades. I'm sure you've um, probably heard a little bit about that, but we're going to do what we always do. We're going to go through that a little bit more in depth. Also, very, very controversial comments from Matt LaFleur as he uh, tries to play the well, actually game, and um, Packer fans don't respond very well. I feel like lately I've been very much on the side of like fans are, they're getting too pitchforky, and I still think that that's true. I think it's, it's the, the emotions are just wildly out of control, but in this case, I definitely fall on the side of um, the fan base and um, the coaching staff being kind of dumb. So why don't we go ahead and just start with that right out of the gate. So here is the full exchange. Let me turn this up because sometimes it can be a little bit quiet. There is the the question and the answer. I'm going to play it in its entirety. There were a couple instances where you guys were in nickel with the two down linemen, and they there were a couple. That is baffling to me when people talk nickel defense and they talk about two down linemen because I don't know what that means. True down linemen, you've got two inside linebackers. So outside linebackers, just so you know how us in this profession view outside linebackers, when you go to nickel defense, they're defensive ends. And we have some of the bigger outside linebackers in this league. So I think it's comical when I hear people talk about, oh, they have two down linemen. I'm like, to me, people are exposing themselves when they say that. Like, there's four defensive linemen on the field. When we play teams, 3-4 defense is not something new, right? That is our base defense. But when you go nickel defense, those outside linebackers become defensive ends. And the way we always judge it is... Would you want a running back blocking that guy? Would you want a running back blocking Preston Smith? Would you want a running back blocking Rashawn Gary? The answer is usually no. So they are defensive linemen. So a couple things. First of all, Matt LaFleur is obviously correct here. And I, you've, if you've heard me talk about nickel defense, you've heard me specifically say we switched to having four down linemen where your edge rushers are hand-in-the-dirt linemen, Right. So that is true. And if that's not understood, then obviously that's a little silly. But I think the larger point here is it is understood. And maybe Matt LaFleur 
doesn't think it's understood and um, thinks that there's completely unfair criticism that there's only two men on the defensive line when we play nickel defense. And so there's unfair criticism against Joe Barry or the defense as a whole. I guess not even Joe Barry because he's the head coach or whatever, but the team and the coaching staff and, and whatever. So it is worth mentioning that, I suppose, just in case the questioner or the people are that dumb and don't realize that. But I'm going to go out on a limb and assume that what was meant to be asked, essentially, is we're getting into situations where, essentially, what are we doing? We're going from a five-man line to a four-man line, and we're going from three interior defensive linemen to two interior defensive linemen. So what we're doing is we're, we're kind of taking away from the point, which is making our defensive line our defensive front lighter and we're kind of getting caught up in terminology or semantics or whatever in other words just change the question from down lineman which is the wrong terminology to interior defensive lineman so again matt lafleur is not wrong but i think it just we, we got hung up on terminology as opposed to answering the question and the question is what's been bothering a lot of people for a long time which is getting very light up front. And I, I, I've seen people already doing the film reviews like Andy Herman or whatever. And he's got an example of, you know, they, they've got the Steelers have five offensive linemen and Darnell Washington, which makes six. And we have a five man front. And not only do we have a five man front, but we've got both of our edge rushers out wide. So they're way out wide. And so when you look on the interior, you have two interior down linemen. I mean, like from, from where the tight end is, to where the tackle is. Everything in between those guys, we have three defenders, two interior defensive linemen, and Devondre Campbell by himself as a linebacker. Three. So when they run the ball up the middle, as they did, it's not really a three-on-six, but it might as well be, because the guys on the edge are useless. And we have McDuffie on the outside of our outside linebacker, so he's taken out of the play. So, you know, and again, it's like, well, if 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 you do that, then they do this. And so, you know, you... That's, but again, you get back to my rock, paper, scissors thing. When the offensive coordinators are able to call the right thing to constantly counteract what you called, you're not doing your job. Either A, they're anticipating what you're doing, which is because you're very easy to read and manipulate, or B, you make it so obvious what your weaknesses are by the way that you align that they could at the very least check into something where they can just tear you apart. I mean, think about the offense. The entire point of what the offense tries to do is to make everything look the same so that you never actually know until, you know, after the the ball is, you know, handed off or not handed at at the the exchange point or whatever the terminology is. Until after that point, you don't know what they're doing. Why? Because if they can see what you're doing, you're screwed. If they have any inclination what you're going to do, you're in trouble. It's to try to be deceptive and confused. So yeah, if the offense seems to consistently call the right things at the right time, then you're just not doing a very good job as a, as a play caller. You know, it's kind of like, again, as fans, we get too caught up in, well, if we just did this, we'd be right. If we just, no, there, there is no thing, right? If you just play man coverage, then you're going to lose. If you just play zone, you're going to lose. If you just load the box, you're going to lose. If you just play light, you're going to lose. It's not a matter of just this or just that. You need all of these things in your toolbox, but it's a matter of calling all the right things at the right time. And I think that's where we're lacking, right? We see a light box and they run up the middle and it's like, well, duh. We see a loaded up box and they run to the outside and it's like, well, duh. There was that play you know, several weeks ago that I highlighted where Preston Smith stunts to the inside. Preston is on the defensive right side and he stunts to the inside. What did they do? They ran a pitch to the outside where Preston was. 
And now we're down a defensive uh, player on that side of the field. It was the exact right call at the exact right time. And when you have a defensive coordinator or an offensive coordinator where it seems like the person on the other side is calling the exact right call at the exact right time consistently, you're not a very good coordinator, period. Because people know how to play you. They know what you're going to do. That in and of itself is a problem. Now, again, did the players do a great job? Not necessarily. Now, on some of these plays, you you could always bring it down to execution because you can always overcome bad scheme with great plays. Even on that play where they were massively undermanned, you know, somebody could have Herculeized a double team or Devondre could have, you know, shed a blocker because he had to cover two, two gaps at the same time. You know, something miraculous could have happened and didn't. And there were missed tackles and there are issues to that extent. But, you know, I, I think this is where people get real nerve. Again, the pitchforks come out way too fast. Way I'm seeing a ton of like, I'm done. I can't do it. I'm over it. He's a, like, okay, freaking relax. But this is where I think people start to get nervous where it's like, how can you never hold your coaching staff accountable? I mean, occasionally you get sort of the, we as a coaching staff need to do better, but it always seems to come down to the players and the execution. And sometimes you can look at it and just say, that's not the case though, dude. You know, sometimes, yes, and maybe, maybe it is one of those, I got to go back and look at the film, and until then, all I saw was missed tackles and everything else. And, you know, obviously, again, you're going to get upset, especially when the media, who are the ones that, like, drive the narrative, come out and start talking about a two-man line, and it's like, come on, man, don't do that to me. Don't go out there telling people we, we're running a two-man line, as, as in, like, it's a, it's a two-man pass rush or something, when we're very obviously not running a two-man line. So I understand like the panic and the reaction when, you know, you use such grossly inaccurate terminology that that would indicate you're doing something horrifically wrong when you're not. It's a four man line, not a two man line. But again, it just kind of evades the point. Right. But but either way, I mean, we, we've kind of been down this line. If you ask the question properly, which it was not asked properly, what's going to happen? You know, you're running a lot of nickel. And, and do you think that's causing the problem? Well, if you know, if we run more base, then they're going to throw against us, and we're going to, you know, then it's going to be we're getting gashed down the field, and you guys aren't going to like that much more. Which is going to be the answer. Which, by the way, this is going to annoy me just as much because the answer essentially is there's nothing we can do. And if your answer as a coach is there's nothing we can do, and I know I'm putting words in his mind, I mean it's literally a straw man. I'm setting up his argument and attacking it. I'm just saying this is what I've heard. When your answer is there's nothing we can do, then you're not good at your job because there is something you can do. There are great defenses all across the league that have answers, just like there are great offenses that have answers to great defenses. Anyways, here is the rest of that exchange, just so we're all up to speed on how that all went down. Okay, so I was just going to have a field day with that tomorrow for me. Um, so you, you felt good about your personnel because they did get you on some of those plays, whether you want to call them. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, and we, we got to execute better. And So there you go. Again, you felt good about the plays and he says absolutely we got to execute better so there you go certainly there's times when you would like to not be in a split safety defense no question about it but um because you are more susceptible to the run when you're playing shell defense and a lot of it is is it a cover two look where the safeties aren't in run support Uh, i mean pittsburgh ran a ton of two shell versus us especially in the second half. And they were still able to stop the run pretty effectively. And again, it, I mean, it, it is actually interesting because if you look at that specific Herman thing that I was talking about, and this is just one play, and again, you can't just extrapolate everything from one play. 
It is a little bit interesting because in reality, I mentioned generally speaking, you're looking at four down linemen when you're playing nickel. In this particular instance, on this particular play, there actually weren't four down linemen. There were actually two down linemen, and Preston and Rashawn were stand up like wide nine on both sides of the field. I don't know if it was specifically wide nine, but they were outside of the outside of the tight end on one side and way out wide on the other side. So there were actually only two down linemen in that situation. I mean, you could say, well, they're still considered down linemen even if they don't have their hand in their dirt. Well, okay, but fine. The point is there there is a big difference between actually having four men on the line from from, you know, nose up with the tackle to nose up with the other tackle and having two guys on the interior, two guys outside of the entire offensive line and tight end and one linebacker in the middle. Like that there is a difference there. And we can pretend that there is. No, no, it's it's four four linemen in a linebacker. Same thing. It's not the same thing. If it was the same thing and it didn't matter, then what what's the point of having all these different alignments? Of course alignment matters. And and you know, hand, you know, stand up or hand in the dirt makes a difference. That's why you interchange those things. So, you know, again, pretending that well, Pittsburgh ran too high and we ran too high and they had better results. You, so so too high and too high are the same thing. Like no matter what, everything else doesn't matter. As long as you have two safeties not helping and run support, everything up front is the same. No difference whatsoever. Come on, man. Yeah, I mean, he, he could actually come back with his own well actually, because, you know, if they're stand up outside linebackers, they're not down linemen. Down has a meaning. You can call them linemen if you want. I mean, the, the, the terminology is stupid and who cares, but down has a very specific meaning. And I'll give you a hint. It doesn't mean standing up. Anyways, um, that is the drama of the day. Why don't we take a break? We'll come back and take a look at the PFF grades. We'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. 
With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. All right, let's start off with the old special teams. Um, On the negative end of things, Anthony Johnson, Isaiah McDuffie, Josiah DeGuara. It's kind of like two weeks ago again where, you know, you got your core special teamers that you're hoping can kind of step up and they're not necessarily doing it. But on the positive side, we did have quite a few, you know, above average to decent players. Um, Dallin Levitt, fairly good job. A.J. Dillon again. He's been kind of popping up a few times. Zane Anderson, I still don't know who he is, but glad to have you. <laughs> Tucker Kraft, who I thought is uh, had a, himself a good day and has been up here a couple times. Robert Rochelle, another guy that, um, did he get injured or something? I remember something happened, and they said Robert Rochelle. I'm like, oh, yeah, Robert, who the heck is Robert Rochelle? And uh, Luke Musgrave actually had the highest grade. It was just a 74, but quite a few guys with uh, pretty solid grades. Also, Christian Welch had um, had two tackles and an assist. He was the most tackly guy on the field. Also, who is Christian Welch? <laughs> oh, all that bottom of the roster turnover that I stopped caring about once the regular season starts. Anyways, on to the offense. It it is kind of funny because I, I I was peeking at this yesterday when the grades came out, and I remember saying like, "Who did a good job?" And I said. Jordan Love probably got like a 72. And then I said, I, I know nobody on the offensive line did a good job. Maybe Elton Jenkins, maybe Josh Myers, maybe Jaden Reed. And then I said, it was kind of waffly on Musgrave, like, yeah, I don't know, maybe. You know who has had good grades? Luke Musgrave, Josh Myers, Jordan Love, Jaden Reed, Elton Jenkins. It's funny because I was trying to think who could have possibly had a good game slash good grade. And I couldn't picture anybody. And then I just kind of plucked out the guys that maybe did because I can't necessarily say that they didn't. And every single one of them did. Not saying I predicted them to have good grades. I'm just saying it's positive that the only guys that I know didn't have bad days ended up having good days. So that's a good thing. But we'll get to that. On the negative side, we're talking sub 55-ish grade. John Runyon, 54, um, continues to disappoint. I mean, his pass blocking was good this week, which is great, but the run blocking is just so bad. Um, he just continues to really, really be down in the dumps. Christian Watson had a 54 grade, and then the worst of the day was actually Tucker Craft, who I was excited for him because he caught a pass, and I was like, here we go. Let's go, Tucker, but apparently that wasn't good enough. Mostly it was the, well, I shouldn't even say that. He had a 48 receiving grade and a 42 run blocking grade, so I guess nothing was really great. Pass blocking was great, but he did that twice. So, But again, on the positive side, going from lowest to highest, Luke Musgrave had a 72.7. Love to see that. Josh Myers had a 76.6. It was actually one of his worst pass blocking days. It was pretty rough, but the run blocking was elite, believe it or not. Jordan Love, 77.8, 77.9 passing grade off the check. I know overall it's not his highest, but I think last week it was largely his rushing grade. Let me just check. Yeah, it is It is higher as a passing grade, almost identical to last week, and I was kind of having a hard time deciding which one was better. I'll default to PFF. 76.3 last week, 77.9 this week. So that's three weeks of growth, 68, 76, and 78, we'll call it. Again, what matters to me more than anything is the the four-quarter element and, I suppose, the, the deep passing element. The fact that those things that I was worried were not going to be a thing became a thing. So that is very good news. Um, then you have Jaden Reed with a 79 grade and Elton Jenkins with an 81.1 PFF grade. Looking a little bit closer 
at Jordan Love. Again, 77 overall, 70, well, 78 across the board, I guess. Uh, He was down to a 52.5 completion percentage, but his adjusted completion percentage was up to a 67.6. There were two drops in the game. There were two batted passes, which I think also get taken away. One pass hit as he threw and two throwaways. He had two touchdowns and two interceptions, but was listed as having five big-time throws and one turnover-worthy play. I'm assuming they're saying the Christian Watson one wasn't a turnover-worthy play, which I guess kind of makes sense when a ball gets tipped in the air. They probably don't call that turnover-worthy play. That's more of a flukish, unlucky thing. Again, an, an unfortunate throw that gets tipped is technically his fault, but it's not, you know, it's one of the ball bounces kind of things in terms of being a, a throw that was to a defender, which it was not. But his five big-time throws accounted for 11.6%, which is unbelievably high. And the turnover-worthy plays were at 2.2%, which is not terrible. Time to throw was 273 NFL passer rating of 717 Um, He saw pressure 32.6% of the time, not the greatest in the world from the Packers offensive line standpoint, but pretty adequate for the, you know, the NFL. And uh, Jordan actually had a higher grade while under pressure than he did while kept clean. He had a 73.3 grade with no pressure, 15 of 28, 174 yards, one touchdown, one pick. Under pressure, 77.5 passing grade. He was 6 of 12, 114 yards, one touchdown, one interception. And then as far as his uh, passing depth, first time getting an elite grade deep, 93.8 grade on passes 20 or further down the field. So we went went from like that's his worst part of his game to the best part of his game. He was 5 of 8 for 168 yards and a touchdown, four big time throws, zero turnover worthy plays. Unfortunately, everything else was not super fantastic. Uh, Medium passes, 10 to 19 yards. He was 4 of 9, 74 yards, a touchdown and two pick, 59.6 grade. Short passes, he was 5 of 10 for 36 yards, 68.5 grade. That's also where two of the drops came from, so call it 5 of 7. You could possibly call it 7 of 10 if they're good throws, but I don't know. And then behind the line of scrimmage, 7 of 7 for 10 yards, 65.4 grade. So... Certainly improvement from Jordan Love, and if we continue down this path, not continue in terms of keep doing it this way, but continue in terms of continue to take steps in the right direction, um, I don't think we're super far away from him being, I gotta be careful how I say it. He's training in the right direction. Let's just leave it at that. Actually, you know what? I'm wrong. I, I think consistency actually is probably most important right now because we just checked those two boxes and he's done it once so far. If he can continue to do that, even without growing, if we get four quarters of play, just consistent quarters, and the deep ball continues, we can kind of nibble around the edges from there. But just let's just prove that that was not a fluke and that you can do that like all the time or most of the time. Nobody's doing that perfectly all the time. Um, receiving grades, the lowest, Tucker Craft 48.3, Watson 55 Jones, 57. Dobbs, 64. A.J. Dillon, 67. Dontavian Wicks with a 70. Luke Musgrave with a 71. And Jaden Reed with a 78. Jaden Reed definitely had a great day. Starting to see some better things from Luke Musgrave, which is fantastic. He's starting to kind of burst onto the scene. Again, getting some better passes from Jordan seems to be helping. Imagine that. Because really, think about it. Early on in this, I think it was week one or week two, there were two passes that went over Luke Musgrave's head. If those passes had gone over Luke Musgrave, those two receptions that he had went over his head, what would his grade be? He'd have, you know, four targets, zero receptions, zero yards. Do you think he'd have a 71 PFF? I don't think so. I know the grade shouldn't necessarily reflect the production, but it always is going to, to some degree. 
if for no other reason, the, the fact that you caught it gives you extra added, you know, gives you a higher grade. You caught a pass. If you didn't catch it, even if it's uncatchable, you don't get credit for doing something that you didn't do. Uh, looking from a production standpoint, yards per route run, Jaden Reed, number one, at 3.5 yards per route run. Then Tavian Wicks is number two at 2.5. Luke Musgrave at 2.06. After that, it's a massive drop-off to Aaron Jones at 0.9 yards. So you got three guys really solid, and then it's a pretty subpar after that. Rushing grades, A.J. Dillon, 72. Aaron Jones, 59. And then Jordan Love, a 55. We already went over the yards per attempt. Uh, yards after contact per attempt, A.J. Dillon, 3.9 yards after contact per attempt. Aaron Jones, 2.5. Jordan Love, 1.5. A.J. Dillon had four missed tackles for, which is pretty unusual for him. Aaron Jones had two. So just a, I mean, great day all around from Dillon. Obviously, not just the yards per attempt, but breaking tackles and yards after contact. Pretty uncharacteristic, but uh, love to see it. And then finally, the offensive line. Uh, left tackle Rashid Walker, 65 pass blocking grade and a 54 run blocking grade. He had a pretty rough day. I mean, it's a tough, it's a tough group. Um, you got to expect that this is probably not going to be your best day if you're one of the edge guys. But still, it kind of goes to show. Like, are you up to the task, or is it just kind of you're you're just kind of treading water out there? He allowed five pressures, which was the most on the team. Uh, the second highest was third or uh, three, which was Zach Tom. We'll get there. But uh, tough day at the office, but zero sacks given up. I mean, the team gave up no sacks, which is pretty fantastic. One hit and four hurries for Rasheed Walker at left guard. Best player of the day, Elton Jenkins, best offensive lineman, um, maybe best player. Pass blocking grade of 79.4, allowed just two pressures, one hit, one hurry, and a run blocking grade of 85.1. This is what this is what we need from Elton. We, we need more of this, man, because... You know, as a fan base, we get excited about stuff. At least we used to. Now now we just hate everybody. But, you know, when things are good, it's like th- there's there's too much. Like, everybody's amazing. Which I used to be kind of like, all right, guys, calm down. Now it's like, can we please go back to that where we're, like, overly excited about guys? But Elton was, was that guy where it's like, you know, maybe he can get there. And then we started to see this, where the run blocking and the pass blocking is there. And it's like, man, this guy really is actually pretty special. And we just haven't seen it consistently enough. I think this is his second game where he's done that. Let me check. Um... No, it's his first. That's I could have swore there was another game. But he has had three in a row, a four in a row, pass blocking grade. So he's played um, seven games, and four of his last seven, his pass blocking grades have been 71, 90.5, 77, and 79. So basically 70, 90, 78. This is his first good run blocking game. Although he hasn't had a bad run blocking game in his last three weeks. So he's just been getting better every single week. The last three weeks, he's been solid across the board. This week is the first time when it's been like, this is the Elton Jenkins that I miss, right? This is, this is what we, I mean, it's not, not saying I expect this every week because nobody does this every week, but this is kind of the guy that we wanted you to be. So I'm very happy to finally see it. And I'm, again, similar to Jordan Love and some of the other guys, like, can we just, just lock this in? Let's just see more of this. Again, I don't expect it every week, but this is more or less what we were Kind of want from you. Josh Myers with a wildly uncharacteristic game. Um, 43.8 pass blocking grade, although he only gave up one pressure. And an 89 run blocking grade. I don't know if he's ever had, he very rarely has this low of a pass blocking grade, and I don't know if he's ever had this high of a run blocking grade. So I don't know what to make of this game. I don't expect either of those to stay that way, but I guess we'll take it for now. I don't know. 
Um, John Runyon had a very John Runyon day, but again, the run blocking is just, it's worse than it should be. A, a typical John Runyon day is like a 79 pass blocking and a 60 or a 59, you know, run blocking grade or whatever. And I can deal with that. He had a 79 pass blocking grade and a 43 run blocking grade. Like it's just, it can't be that bad. To not be great at it is one thing. To be a liability is a completely other thing. And this is liability territory. And um, it's been kind of consistent. I mean, he's had four games now since week three where he's been 40s or lower. It's been 30, 50, 40, 70, but he had a 40 pass blocking grade in that game. And then 40, 50, 40. And he's had in the last four weeks, two pass blocking grades in the 40s. It's been 80, 40, 80, 30, 80. Like, I mean, you know what I mean? Like the inconsistency is so ridiculous. I can't imagine anybody has that wild of swings anywhere in the NFL. And it actually was, I got to go back a week, 40, 80, 40, 80, 30, 80. Like, come on, man. What is that? That's straight trash. And, and literally every week that he had an 80 pass blocking grade, he had a 40 run blocking grade. So if, if let's, let's do it this way. If we alternate pass blocking and run blocking, it goes 40, 40, 40, 40, 30, 40. If you just bounce back and forth from pass blocking to run blocking and look at his lowest grades, 40, 40, 40, 40, 30, 40. John, you, you can't be that bad at something every week. And again, John Runyon owes Josh Myers a debt of gratitude because everybody hates Josh Myers so much they're just not noticing. And I think that's going to change pretty soon. But he has been pretty awful this year. He has a 46 run blocking grade, which his lowest prior to this was last year with a 54. And he has a 66 pass blocking grade. Last year was a 77. So again, 77 and 54 was what he had last year. 72, 57 is what he was the year before. That's sort of the John Runyon special. High 50s, pass blocking in the 70s. But this is, this is not, this is not good enough. And you can't even say, well, he's a good pass blocker because every other week he is abysmal. Then you have right tackle, Zach Tom. He had a 58 pass blocking grade and a 72 run blocking grade. I think Zach Tom is who I was thinking of, who had both good uh, run blocking and pass blocking. He's done that. He did that week one, and he did it week seven. He's Zach Tom is kind of the Elton Jenkins that I was hoping Elton Jenkins would be. Been pretty consistently good. He hasn't had one like bad game as a pass blocker. His lowest are 59.8 against Detroit, and this week was a 58. And again, it was just three pressures, and he did have two penalties, which probably contributes to that somewhat. Three pressures is not bad. And remember, you're going up against Watt, and he gave up zero sacks. He's only given up one sack this entire year. And his run blocking, he has one game below 60. It was real bad against Atlanta. It was a 44, but it's been 80, 70, 80, 60, 80, 60, 60, 70. Pass blocking has been 80, 80, 70, 60, 60, 70, 70, 70, 58. I rounded up a couple of, I mean, the, the lowest, again, for his pass blocking grade is a 58. That's basically right at average. Zach Tom has been great. One sack, two hits, 17 hurries, 20 pressures, three penalties, but two of them came this week. And and listen, I mean, if, if this is what you are against one of the best pass rushers in football, three total pressure, zero sacks against TJ freaking Watt, you're the guy. Like, you, you're it. And again, I'm not moving him to center. I'm not doing it. I'm not going to have no solution for TJ Watt because a guy that can actually handle TJ freaking Watt is playing center. I'm not doing that. I'm just, I'm sorry. No chance. It'd be like, should we move David Bakhtiari to center? Because it turns out he can play it. No. Are you out of your mind? The guy erases elite pass rushers. Zero chance. 
Zero chance I'm doing that. So I'm going to call that a good day. I mean, it was a 61 overall grade uh, with a, you know, 58 pass blocking, 72 run blocking, but I'm going to call that a good day. I mean, again, the penalties kind of lowered his grade overall, but I just don't have an issue with three pressures and no sacks against TJ Watt and getting a 72 run blocking grade while in the process. I think that's great stuff. Let's take our final break. We'll come back and take a look at the defense. So not a lot of uh, real good, and there is kind of a lot of bad here, which I guess is somewhat expected. If you're looking at sub-55, Rudy Ford with a 55, Devondre Campbell, 54, Jonathan Owens, 52, Carrington Valentine, 50, Lucas Van Ness, 48, TJ Slayton with a 40.5, and Colby Wooden with a 29. On the positive side, um, we'll call it four guys. Preston Smith had a 69. We'll just call it a 70 for the sake of throwing another guy in there. Corey Ballantyne with a 71. So glad to see him step up. Kenny Clark with a 74, and Rashawn Gary with a 79. Run defense obviously being the biggest issue here. Carrington Valentine, I mean, this is sub 50, so 40s or lower. Carrington Valentine, 50, which I know I said sub, but it's 49.9. That's why he's in the category, but 50. Lucas Van Ness, 47. Rudy Ford, 47. Devondre Campbell, 46. Keyshawn Nixon, 46. TJ Slayton with a 40 run defense grade. Again, he is he is the key cog in the machine. If we're going to have a really good run defense day, TJ Slayton probably had a good day. If he had a terrible day, we probably had a terrible day. Jonathan Owens with a 34 and Colby Wooden with a 29.9. A little bit disappointing with Colby Wooden, but he only played 10 snaps. So it's a pretty small sample size. Not massively upset with it. And as I said, what one guy always has a good day. One guy always has a bad day. Colby Wooden has consistently been the better of the two between him and Brooks. Carl Brooks is the guy that had a pretty good day this, this week. But as far as positive run defense grades, only two. Isaiah McDuffie with a 73 and Rashawn Gary with a 79. Carl Brooks was third with a uh, 68. Tackling, I mean, kind of a tale of two two halves of a defense here. Owens, Ballantyne, Gary, Ford, Valentine, Van Ness, and Kenny Clark all had bad grades. Good tackling was Devontae Wyatt, TJ Slayton, Preston Smith, Anthony Johnson, and Devondre Campbell. Pass rush, just two guys with good grades, Kenny Clark and Devondre Campbell, which is obviously disappointing because Devondre is only, he's not a pass rusher. And then coverage, the only real bad grade was Carrington Valentine, although the stats are not bad at all. Um, and then the good good grade was Corey Ballantyne. Pressure is just 10 in this game, which is obviously pretty disappointing. I know Rashawn Gary, I don't think we played it, but Rashawn Gary was asked, uh, how often are you not getting double teamed these days? And he just like scoffed, like, you tell me, is what he said. And honestly, he's getting doubled every single time. And so the, the problem really, as much as you can look at this, and it is frustrating you know, Rashawn Gary, the, the narrative is going to be Rashawn Gary got paid and then he disappeared. And that is to some degree true, which is unfortunate. Rashawn Gary had 20 pass rush attempts and just one pressure in this game. That's not good enough. But um, every time I saw Rashawn Gary, he's getting double teamed. And yeah, you got to fight through it, whatever. I get it. But we got, I mean, if you're doubling a guy, you should have one-on-ones pretty much everywhere else. Somebody has to freaking win. And they're not. So the easy way to erase our entire defense is double Rashawn and you're good. We need Kenny to step up. We need Preston. We need Wyatt. We need um, Lucas Van Ness. We need Wooden. We need Brooks. These guys had Kingsley. Kingsley had zero. I mean, I, f- I swear he has just been, yeah, eight pressures on 105 attempts in one sack. I mean, he has just been, he's had two games in the last three weeks with zero pressures and one game with one pressure. So it's been 27 attempts and one pressure the last three weeks. He has been a terrible, 
pass rusher. Lucas Van Ness, eight attempts only, but zero pressures on those eight. I think Lucas has been pretty similar. Oh my goodness, it's it's way worse for Lucas Van Ness. <sighs> I don't even want to say this. This makes me sick to my stomach. Since week two, Lucas Van Ness has played in eight games. He has generated a pressure in one of those eight games. Seven out of eight games, zero pressures. Zero. Now, granted, he never has more than about 10. So again, you expect between zero and one. But if you add it up, you have eight, six, 11, 11, 10, 11, eight. Let's just say that 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, let's call it 60. Zero pressures on 60 attempts in those games. That's unbelievably horrible. Like, just brutally bad. Now, we could be a little bit more fair and say it's like two on 70, but that doesn't make it much better. And he had five pressures week one, which is obviously fantastic. But since then, since week one, when he had five pressures, he's generated two. Now, combined, he has seven out of 100, which is obviously very easy math. It's 70 or 70%. Good Lord. Easy math. It's 70%. <laughs> 7%, which is still low. And again, five of those seven came week one. Oh, boy, oh, boy. You know, it's like you build an entire defense around Rashawn. It's like, man, Rashawn really changes stuff. And he does because he's great. And then everybody else becomes like the worst ever. <laughs> what is happening? Anyways, Carl Brooks also was zero pressures. Rashawn Gary, again, just one on 20, which is horrific. But again, a lot of double team. Now, we'll look at specifically what wasn't and whatnot. But TJ Slayton, one pressure on 14 attempts. Devontae Wyatt, one pressure, 14 attempts. Preston Smith, two pressures, 20 attempts, right at 10%. The only guy that was, like, good was Kenny Clark, three pressures, 21 attempts. However, the only sack was the one from Preston Smith. The, the, the pass rush has just fallen off a cliff, and I don't understand why. And again, this is a bad offensive line. Now, I don't know if this has been like the last two weeks where we're just like, we're going to kind of take a little bit off to try to help with the run defense. Maybe it worked against the Rams, so we tried it again this week, and it didn't work, so now we have no pass rush and no run defense. I don't know. I really don't. I don't know what exactly is happening. But we went from like a really good pass rush team to a team that can't generate pressures against a garbage offensive line. And I'm really hoping that it has to do with Joe Barry deliberately trying to make run defense a focal point, which would make sense because, again, they knew that this was going to be a team that was going to run the ball a lot. At least, at least just tell me that. Tell, I don't care if you tried to stop the run and fail. Tell me you are taking some juice out of the pass rush, and that's the only reason we don't have pass rush. And you can just crank that back up and say, screw run defense, crank it up, and next week we're just going to obliterate the quarterback. We'll suck against the run, but we suck no matter what. Just give me, just lie to me, man. Just freaking lie to me, please. 10 pressures, one sack, but 16 missed tackles. One from Rashawn, one from Carrington, one from Keyshawn, two from Kenny, two from McDuffie, two from Jonathan Owens, two from Carrington Valent- uh, Corey Ballantyne, two from Lucas Van Ness, and three missed tackles by Rudy Ford. Stops, we had one from Rashawn, Jonathan Owens, Carrington Valentine, Lucas Van Ness, two from Kenny, Rudy, and Keyshawn, three from Preston Smith, four from Isaiah McDuffie, and five from TJ Slayton. And then finally looking at coverage, the most targeted was Corey Ballantyne. So that, I think that happened last week with Ballantyne, but they really went at Ballantyne, but it wasn't, um, really wasn't to their benefit. Only four of them were caught for 37 yards and he had two pass breakups. Isaiah McDuffie was the second most targeted, five targets, four receptions, but just 25 yards. Keyshawn Nixon, three targets, two receptions, just 12 yards and a pass breakup. Carrington Valentine, two targets, just one reception for 28 yards. It was a pretty big reception, but still, I mean, only two targets, only one reception. I call that a good day. Uh, Devondre Campbell, two targets, one reception, just eight yards. 
Jonathan Owens, one target, zero receptions. Rudy Ford, one target, one reception, three yards. And uh, Preston, one target, one reception, 13 yards. We also had, let's see, Anthony Johnson had five snaps in coverage, zero targets, zero receptions. Kyle Brooks and Kenny Clark, you will uh, be happy to find out, was in coverage, but zero targets, zero receptions. So Crisis averted. Three penalties on the defense, Keyshawn Nixon, Carrington Valentine, and Jonathan Owens with those three penalties. But anyways, that's going to do it for today. You guys have a good rest of your day. I will talk to you tonight, tomorrow, whatever. Have a good one. Bye.